This is Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from NEEDTECH, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. Welcome to Transmission Interrupted from NEEDTECH. Hello, and welcome to Transmission Interrupted. I'm Jill Morgan. I'm a nurse here at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. For those of you not yet familiar with NEETEC, our mission is to set the gold standard for special pathogen preparedness and response across health systems in the U.S. with the goals of driving best practices, closing knowledge gaps, and developing innovative resources. NEETEC works alongside and in cooperation with the CDC and is funded by ASPR, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. So today we're going to talk about trying to prevent transmission, trying to be best prepared for travel. And so this advice will apply, we hope, to families and clinicians who are advising these kids and families as they travel. So join us today. We're going to have a great conversation about traveling without transmission from tots to teens, staying safe on a vacation. I'm really happy to be joined today by Dr. Andy Shane and Dr. Amina Hussein. Dr. Shane is a pediatric infectious disease physician, the division chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Disease, the Marcus Professor of Hospital Epidemiology and Infection Prevention for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and the medical director for their pediatric biocontainment unit. Welcome, Andy. And I'm also joined today by Dr. Hussein. She comes to us from the Johns Hopkins University System, where she's an assistant professor of pediatrics in the Division of Pediatric Emergency Medicine and is their director of pediatric emergency disaster management. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Jill. It's wonderful to be with you. Hi, Jill. Hi, Andy. Great to be here with you guys. All right. So people are super excited about finally getting to go somewhere. Let's talk about what needs to go into planning, whether that's getting my family ready, whether that's getting vaccines ready, whether I need to think about pre- departure testing. Help me understand what's really important here. So thanks, Jill. And yes, it is wonderful that we are beginning to travel again or continuing to travel. I think the really the key point here is try to plan ahead and think ahead. And as it's so important to plan out trips, schedule flights, schedule car trips, make all those arrangements of the logistics of travel, It's also very important to think about who's traveling, the ages of those traveling, where one is going to, and how we prepare. What one takes with one or what the preparations oftentimes depends upon ages and where people are planning to go. But both of those are really important to think about. And I just can't emphasize the importance of advanced planning as much as possible. And what do you guys think about the idea of asymptomatic testing, pre-departure testing. And does it matter, for instance, would your answer be different if I'm going to visit my grandparents who might have their own health problems? Kind of talk me through that. Sure, I'll start. And I think there's been a lot of discussion about testing people who are asymptomatic. And really, as an infectious disease physician, my goal is to try to encourage those individuals who have symptoms to not travel. And whether that's symptoms due to COVID, symptoms due to a common cold virus, symptoms due to influenza, which we've seen a lot of recently, 
really it doesn't make a difference because if you have symptoms, you're likely to be potentially infectious. So really focusing on the symptoms is how I would guide people to think about things. And then thinking about symptom resolution, and we really like people to have had no symptoms for at least 24 hours before resuming any activity. So I I would really encourage people to focus on symptoms. And obviously, if someone develops symptoms, that would be a reason to make sure that you are not around other people. And if that happens during a trip, that would be an indication for you to try to make sure that the people who are symptomatic are separated from those who don't have symptoms. And I understand that lots of people who have these plans that they've made months ago because they were really excited about having a summer vacation and plane tickets are made, reservations are made. It's very true that if you're symptomatic, whether it's COVID or another virus that we've been seeing so many of them going around, understand that not only are you putting other people at risk by being symptomatic and traveling, but also you're going to be miserable. You're not going to have fun there anyway. And neither is the rest of the family. So the kids are sick then it's in everybody's best interest to maybe postpone or adjust or amend the vacation to do something a little bit more local or something that is going to be more doable. As far as asymptomatic testing, we know that it's low yield. So it could still be negative and you could still be having COVID. But also, were you just exposed to somebody who had COVID? You want to test beforehand? Just Don't be falsely reassured that your test was negative, that you don't have it or aren't going to come down with it in the next couple of days. So though I know that it's a popular thing to do, people should not be falsely reassured by a negative COVID test. So now that we have vaccines available for most kids, can you tell me a little bit about what that optimum timing should look like? Is that something that I should talk to my pediatrician about before we go on vacation? Is there a a sweet spot for how far ahead in order to give my kids the best shot at avoiding COVID? Sure, that's a great question, Jill. And I think there's been lots of discussion about COVID vaccination and when the optimal time is to be vaccinated. And, you know, really the guidance is to get vaccinated when you can. So while there have been some reports and studies about waiting the period of time before you're going to travel, really the optimal advice because we have to remember that these are a series of vaccines, not a single vaccine, that you want to start the process as soon as possible. I think it's also important to remember that it takes between 10 to 14 days and probably closer to 14 to develop an optimal immune response to a vaccine. So uh, trying to make sure that one at least has the vaccine two weeks prior to any type of travel Um, is ideal. And obviously, if you can have the entire series, that's even better. Uh, For children who are six months uh, and uh, the younger children, six months to four or five, depending on uh, which vaccine you get, those have been really only available very recently. And it's, it's very conceivable that if somebody is traveling in the near future, they're not going to be able to have the entire series. But once again, recommendation really is to be vaccinated as soon as the vaccine becomes available. And then with respect to other vaccines, so non-COVID vaccines, I think that's really an important part of travel preparation, especially if someone is traveling internationally, to make sure that you have a travel consultation or discuss with your pediatrician well in advance of your travel, because once again, receiving the vaccine and then developing an optimal immune response can, can take up to two weeks. Yeah, that's a lot to think about and maybe juggle a little bit, especially if you have 
several children and they're all in different time periods with when they've been able to get vaccinated. And I guess thinking about vaccinated adults and older kids, what is reasonable to ask if we're going to visit relatives or even if we're going to stay with friends? Are there things that we should ask about ahead of time, whether that's are people vaccinated or could we get together outside or where will all these kids sleep? And, you know, all those kinds of things that I guess I I would worry about are going to put us at a higher risk. That's a great question, Jill. And although I don't want to ever discourage people to talk about the benefits of vaccines, if you can do it in a way that's going to be amicable, it's definitely worth bringing up as an encouragement for others to get vaccinated when they're not. However, we understand when that's not always possible. Things that you do want to know is, are you bringing your family that may or may not have unknown COVID or other infections, as Dr. Shane has alluded to, all the other infections that kids tend to bring with them into another family that's at risk. Is there anyone there that's immunocompromised? Are there grandparents or anyone else on immunosuppressants? So as you're talking to these families, you want to make sure you know what you're bringing your family into and how much exposure they're going to have to these individuals. If it's another family, like a close family you're going to and you're staying at their home, the kids are going to all be bunking together, then there is a very strong possibility. I would say expect that somebody is going to give somebody some virus within that realm. And is there a concern of that spreading somewhere else? If there is concern that you might get stuck where you're at because of said transmitted infection, then you might want to consider not having the kids bunking together, maybe staying at a hotel, doing outdoor activities things that are going to put you at less risk. So it's trying to understand what the risks are going into it for both your family and the other family you're visiting. I think that that's a great point. I was thinking about it from the advantage of a parent with small kids and the risk to the children, but you're right. I might be transporting my germ factories into somebody else's home, and and that's a lot to think about, along with all the other stuff that has to be considered in this. And so much planning does go into travel with children, especially all the things you have to take and the things you want them to take. And do they need their favorite whoopee and all that? But probably when we're thinking about infectious diseases or any of the kind of conditions that may affect travel, what's on your short list of things we should bring with us or things we should make sure we have? And then I want one of y'all to talk about how we can prep our kids to be good travelers or to be maybe safer travelers. One of the things about children that's true of adults as well is that it's really helpful to sort of go through the scenario or the situation ahead of time and really explain to them what's going to happen. Children have gotten very used to wearing masks, hopefully to using hand hygiene, hand washing, alcohol-based hand sanitizing rub, all those preventive measures that really are the foundation of preventing the transmission of, of infection and actually even predated COVID. So really important to try to emphasize to children the importance of adhering to those measures when you're traveling, you're intermixing with lots of people who you may or may not know. Masking is important, especially in indoor areas when there are high rates of transmission. And then hand sanitizer as well, just making sure that children are aware of of what the situations are going to be. Role-playing a little bit if you can, and having children, if you're going on an extended car trip, explaining to them maybe going on a shorter trip and going into a 
community rest stop or something and explaining to them what's going to happen and how it's really important to make sure that you adhere to hygienic measures as much as possible. I just also wanted to mention that despite the best plans that we all make, oftentimes delays occur. And so really important to plan, especially if you're going to be traveling to a place where there may be limited resources to make sure that you have enough medications if your children or adults are taking medications, hand sanitizer, uh, extra masks, items that you might need that you might not be able to access if, in fact, you might get delayed. That's exactly correct. Being disaster preparedness, I agree 100% that you want to be able to carry light and travel light, but with kids, this is not the time to start trying to do that. You want to make sure that you do have the extra wipes and maybe tight-fitting masks hand sanitizers that you would need for a trip. Let's say that you're stuck at an airport for delays, which we have been seeing a lot of lately. You don't want to have to pay a million bucks for a bottle of antipyretics at the local store. might be worthwhile carrying that with you. Also, if you're traveling to an area, you're going backpacking or camping with your kids where it's not going to be available. One other thing to keep in mind as you're preparing is that when you're not feeling well, you should not be actually doing activities that would not allow your body to heal and fight off the infection. So maybe your child going to a water park while they're sick is not the best idea and encourage family to kind of just do low-key activities during that time. We do want families to have fun on vacation, and this is a great time for parents to teach their children how to stay safe. For example, if someone's coughing, move away. And if something drops on the floor, the 10-second rule doesn't apply. Also, that drinking the water that, that they're swimming in could cause them to have other infectious symptoms. That's great. Yes, I love the uh, idea of eating things off of an airport floor. It's just amazing. <laughs> I was thinking the rest stop floor, which is even worse in my mind. Ugh, that's right. It's not just COVID we're worried about, right? I think the kids who have really no choice but to touch an awful lot of stuff that they travel through, whether that's doorknobs or handrails or anything, and then we know their hands go straight to their mouth. So then when you multiply that with all the other kids who are doing the same thing, or as you said, a water or amusement park, that just feels like an enormous number of risks I'm having to sort of juggle here. We think about the great parts of vacation and how much fun it is to be able to get out and relax and, and let the kids really run around. But as great as an adventure as travel can be, that getting there and those delays and being cooped up or if the weather changes can really start to make you rethink some of these choices. So it's not just COVID, it's also bug spray and sunscreen and not drinking the water in a water park and making sure that they're trying to keep their hands away from their faces and those kinds of really simple things that can help keep our kids healthy all the time. Also, I wanted to touch on supplies. If I'm going somewhere, is it reasonable for me to bring test kits with me or should I upgrade masks from a regular cloth mask to a KN95 or what are the best things that I should have with me? I think that the best mask is one that fits well. That's really an important situation and especially important for children. And that sort of goes back to my suggestion about practicing. Let them practice wearing the mask around the house and making sure that they feel comfortable with it. And depending on the age of a child, making things into a game oftentimes increases acceptance. And so 
I would make sure that mosques are well-fitting. And I think there's been a lot of focus on what type of mosque it is. And really the most important part is well-fitting and comfortable for the wearer. In terms of tests, I think that they can be helpful and they're especially helpful if one develops symptoms while one is traveling. And so having access to test kits to be able to determine whether or not someone may have COVID would be helpful in, in determining length of isolation and or quarantine of people who are contacts. So I think that COVID-19 testing in that situation is of value. And so having good fitting masks, test kits, of course, I can't as an infectious disease physician, emphasize the importance of alcohol-based hand gel. It serves two purposes. One, it helps to eliminate bacteria and viruses from hands, and it also doesn't taste so good. So if you use it and then put your fingers in your mouth, you may not do that again. There is some additional benefit to making sure that hands are are well clean and and well washed. And so having a supply of that. And then I would also say we often focus on, on our children and the children that we're traveling with, but also it's really just as important for adults and especially adults who are interacting with children and are changing diapers or wiping noses or putting on masks, really, really important to also make sure that the adults are meticulous about their mask fitting and wearing and hand hygiene as well. I think it's brilliant, the idea of using alcohol-based hand rubs as an inducement not to chew your nails. That's just great. (laughs) However, I would not probably not try that as a method for getting your child to stop sucking their thumb. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I do want to bring up with test kits is, as Annie said, it was, especially where you're going to is going to matter whether you're going to have test kits available. If you're traveling mostly within the U.S., it's pretty widely available. But if you're traveling internationally, depending on where you're going, you might not be able to find it as easily. So it's something that you, if you're traveling internationally, definitely bring some with you. Also recognize that if your child is not well, you probably or yourself, you may end up testing multiple times, maybe at the onset of symptoms and then again in a few days. So something to always think about when you're traveling internationally. When you go to another area where you're not familiar with what the urgent cares are like, where the emergency departments are like, who would you reach out to healthcare-wise? It's always good to have that relationship for pediatricians and family doctors with their patients so that they can, your patients can always reach out to them whether they're traveling outside of their own state or traveling outside of their country, if there is now multiple ways for them to reach out to their primary care provider. They can stay in touch with their doctor and let them know what's going on. And their doctor can also help guide the treatment that they get if they're in another country. Yeah, I just uh, so glad you brought that up because I think that I guess I've had COVID on the mind so much in these last couple of years, but you're right. If I'm traveling internationally, what other things do I need to be concerned about that are out there that I may have forgotten or slipped off my radar because I've been so COVID-centric? I think that's a great question, Jill. And I think that really goes back to what we started out with, the importance of really trying to plan ahead. And for parents, having discussions with your child's pediatrician in advance of travel, letting your pediatrician know where the child or the family is planning to travel. The CDC has a wonderful website that can be used by both parents and also clinicians where you can enter the travel location and you receive a list of vaccines and other precautions that are in place for those particular countries or particular sites. 
I think it's also important really to try to know as much information and share as much information with a child's pediatrician or family medicine clinician about what you're going to be doing while you're there, because guidance, for example, going to an urban setting may differ from guidance going to a rural setting. And then I think it's also important to think about, we often think when we go visit friends and families, especially in international settings, that somehow the risk is less, but really important to understand that we've got lots of transmission, especially of mosquito-borne illnesses, and the mosquitoes don't know any boundaries. It's really important to consider malaria prophylaxis as an infectious disease physician. That's probably one of the most common infections, travel-related infections that we see. And oftentimes, families don't appreciate that there's a risk for malaria. And so really making sure that that is considered if that is in a location where one is going. And then all of the other general guidance about food and food preparation is extremely important. We try to recommend that people are really cognizant of where their food is prepared and how it's prepared, because we see a tremendous amount of foodborne illnesses as well, especially in return travelers from international settings. Jill, if I could also just add one other thought too. We've talked a lot about the preparation for travel the tr while you're traveling. I think another key component is also when you return and really important when you're, as a parent, if you're taking your child, you're concerned if they develop symptoms to really have a good itinerary to share with your pediatrician or family medicine clinician. Also as pediatricians and family medicine clinicians, really asking detailed information to families about where they were and what they were doing in their activities. And I often preface, sometimes those questions can seem a little bit invasive, but I often preface those statements with, we're just trying to do the best thing and understand what diseases or infections your child may have been exposed to. So I'm going to ask you some very detailed questions and even down to where they obtained water, what kind of water did they drink? what the bathroom situation was. So really just trying to understand those very detailed questions is really important, uh, especially when, you're, when you are a returned traveler and develop symptoms. Excellent. And of course, that makes me think about what you would want people to watch for. So I'm traveling with my family and what symptoms should prompt me to seek help somewhere? Versus what, when is it okay for me to give the kid a dose of Tylenol, put him in bed and ride it out? Yeah, and I think that a lot of parents know their children pretty well, but the symptoms that you want to start looking for with various illnesses, um, so the foodborne ones, you're going to be looking for anything from fatigue, belly pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And like Annie said, some of these things, you could be with family in another country and they might be serving you juice that has no water added, but you don't know if they added ice or other things that could also trigger a traveler's diarrhea. Those would be the most common things for foodborne or GI illnesses. However, respiratory illnesses, any again, starting with anything from fatigue for babies, not wanting to feed, congestion, coughing, trouble breathing, when you go to another area where you're not familiar with what the urgent cares are like, where the emergency departments are like, who would you reach out to healthcare-wise? 
it's always good to have that relationship for pediatricians and family doctors with their patients so that they can always reach out to them, whether they're in traveling outside of their own state or traveling outside of their country. If there is now multiple ways for them to reach out to their primary care provider, they can stay in touch with their doctor and let them know what's going on. And the doctor can also help guide the treatment that they get if they're in another country. I know you mentioned camping. And I think that especially in the heat of the South lately, it's been a very popular thing to try to get into the mountains, try to get cooled off somewhere. But not only do I have to deal with mosquitoes, but I have to deal with ticks. Yes, we have seen a fair number of tick-borne infections in people who have been exposed. So one important part about preparing for hiking and being in the woods is making sure that you dress appropriately. And while it's very warm outside, it's really important to try to cover all skin, especially with light clothing, because that can help to avoid tick attachment. That includes maybe some light long sleeve shirts or light long sleeve tights um, that will help prevent tick attachment. And so I think really important to make sure that you have someone examine your skin, examine your child's skin, and as clinicians, reminding families the importance of making sure that after you've been out hiking or out in the woods that you periodically check each other, making sure that you check hairlines. Ticks in particular really like to live or like to attach at hairlines because it's a way of being camouflaged. Also focusing and, and looking at your child's hair and head or any other parts of the body that may be covered in, in hair where ticks could hide. Also, if you have animals, check your animals as well, because a tick can be attached to an animal and then transferred to a child. So I would say probably tick-borne infections are something that we see quite commonly. And then also just making sure if you're out in the wilderness, you're going to be exposed to plants and other foliage that potentially could also create problems. So poison ivy, poison oak often can cause skin lesions. So really trying to make sure that people are take showers after hiking to try to avoid, if there has been any contact, um, further rashes or lesions on the skin. Tick attachment is just a terrible, terrible phrase, but thank you for that. And mosquito bites. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and mosquito, any of those biting, stinging things, yes, just to avoid. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Y'all really know how to take the joy out of a vacation. <laughs> I have to tick, check, and carry mosquito netting and DEET and Tylenol and probably some Benadryl and masks and hand sanitizer and wipes and extra medicines. But really, compared to what we're probably already carrying in that little kid's suitcase, backpack, or diaper bag, that's probably not too much of a burden. <laughs> so... Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'd like to just wrap it up with maybe your top takeaways, things that you really want to leave people with as they hopefully embark upon a very safe, wonderful trip with their families. Sure, I'll start. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about planning early, being prepared. And then also, if you return and then develop illness, it's really important to be able to discuss that with the clinician that's taking care of you or your child. And if you are a clinician, to really ask detailed questions about exposures to families so you can optimally assess risk. 
Yeah, and thinking about it from the disaster framework, it's the planning that improves resilience. So planning ahead, preventing any infections from happening is ideal, but also knowing that you have a strategy for if somebody should get infected or ill, how you would manage that, and including feeding your children should they be ill. And should your children get sick anyway, also having a strategy for taking care of them while they're sick, while you're away is going to actually improve their resilience and the family's resilience from any illness that they could get. Excellent. So planes, trains, automobiles, water parks, woods, there are a lot of threats out there, but there are a lot of reasonable things people can do to keep themselves and their kids safe and to enjoy some summer vacation or fall vacation and and getting together finally with some friends and family we might not have seen lately. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'm, I really hope that you have a nice rest of your summer and can take some time away and that you have a family that's healthy and stays that way. Thank you, Joel. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us on today. Absolutely. For those of you listening at home, thank you for tuning in to this episode on Transmission Interrupted, where we talked about making travel safer, traveling without transmission. We hope you'll join us for future episodes on a wide range of topics from healthcare worker safety to personal protective equipment and even more about infectious diseases of all kinds. If you have any questions for us or ideas about future shows, please feel free to contact us at info at or you can find us on the web at netech.org backslash podcast. That's N-E-T-E-C dot org backslash podcast where you can subscribe to future episodes and find more information on today's topic. We'll see you next time on Transmission Interrupted. You've been listening to Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from NeedTech, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. Learn more at needtech.org.